Are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Does he take forever to call you back and respond to your request? Are you paying him good money to keep things working, but there are still constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues? Are you worried he's not backing up and securing your network? And does your head hurt from having all these issues to deal with? If this describes you, please be sure to call my good friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital at 843-664-8989. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Heritage Digital will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your IT network works correctly all the time, and it's for one low monthly fee. This is a turnkey solution, folks. And with clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage has you covered. So if you're sick and tired of the constant computer and network issues, call Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital today at 843-664-8989 and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once and all and forever. 843-664-8989, heritagedigital.com. Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks Podcast, J.C. Sherbert here with you. It is Wednesday, May 25th. Hope all you guys are doing well. It's Wednesday. I'm missing JB and Goldwater. But uh, sooner rather than later, (laughs) going to have something to do every day uh, that kind of fills that void. Uh, But good to be talking with you guys here today. Hope you enjoyed the uh, mailbag segment, the Sunday fun bag segment we came out with. over the weekend, got some more mailbag questions to get to in the iHelp Consulting mailbag, uh, and uh, we're ready to roll. Ready to roll here today on a Monday. Game Cup, I'm sorry, Wednesday. Game Cup baseball season is over. Uh, brutal loss, two to one, to the Florida Gators in uh, the SEC tournament. It's another one and done. Game Cup since winning that tournament in 2004 are 12 and 30. <laughs> uh, in Hoover, doesn't seem like. I don't know when they need it, they can't do it. When they don't need it, they don't do it either. So that's a that's a, a brutal stat uh, as far as uh, that baseball tournament goes. But I still remember when they won it though. For uh, came back, kind of came back against Ole Miss, ended up playing Vandy and beating them in the finals. And of course, I, the Gamecocks probably finished. Uh, I don't know how they did it back then or decided it back then. Got eliminated by Cal State Fullerton. I think they probably were third if you were doing final standings from the College World Series. It was a really good team Carolina had in 04 uh, that went to Omaha. So that's a – I think they were 54 and 16. Boy, the days of winning 50 games, you know, wow. (laughs) They're uh, in the rear view a little bit with this program. I don't know what's going to happen with Mark Kingston. I um, There's talk that uh, he's staying. There's talk that he's leaving. I lean towards stay just because that's uh, what the more credible people are saying behind the scenes, but uh, nothing would surprise me in terms of that. I, I do think, uh, and I'll be clear about this, I think if they don't, it's it's a missed opportunity 
uh, a lot of good coaches out there. It's probably going to be a lot of good, uh, a lot of changes in college baseball this off season. So uh, we'll sort of see what happens, but a lot of things kind of are up in the air uh, as far as that goes uh, with the baseball program. Two to one, Florida eliminates South Carolina. Uh, had a couple of pieces on the bigspur.com today, not necessarily news, but uh, kind of news. I got some more info on, uh, you know, uh, uh, Marky Anderson. Sorry. <laughs> got distracted there by a, a tweet. Um, four star out of Dorman High School in Spartanburg. Roebuck, actually. Uh, more information coming in on him. Things looking exceptionally well for the Gamecocks. As far as that goes, Trevon Ball, another offensive lineman out of Pace Academy in Atlanta, has uh, set a date for an announcement. That's Saturday. And the Gamecocks are sitting pretty with him right now as well. So two offensive linemen trending heavily to the Gamecocks. Um, so that's good. That's good because when you kind of look at it and, you know, I, and I wrote this on the site today, it's a VIP article, so I don't want to go too much into it. But when you look at it, you know, over the years, South Carolina signed a bunch of in-state offensive linemen that have worked out. You know, everybody from like lowly rated Travell Wharton and Javon Meredith to lowly rated Dennis Daly to mid-rated TJ Johnson to highly rated AJ Cannon and Brandon Shell. You know, those guys all went to the league. Uh, the state does not put out a ton of, of offensive linemen. Uh, but when they do, they usually pan out. I mean, you know, look, look at Clemson. I mean, Jordan McFadden. Uh, shoot, they flipped him late from Virginia Tech. He's a dormant kid. Uh, look at what he did on their offensive line. Um, over the years, they've had guys come out of nowhere and start for them up front. Um, and so uh, – I don't know, kind of a little trend I've noticed lately. I've always kind of said it's, it's the hardest spot to recruit when you're in the South. But when you just look at the handful of numbers South Carolina's had uh, as a state at that position, they they've tend, tend to work out pretty well. I mean, you know, look, look at Zion Nelson from Sumter, who is a uh, – it was a late take by Miami a few years back because – he didn't have many offers. Miami was desperately scrambling for linemen. He was like 240 pounds. Now he's 300. He started since his freshman year, kind of like the next Sedarius Hutcherson. Um, but he's projected as a first-rounder next year by certain publications. Now you never know. I mean, you know, a lot of guys. Uh, I think any, well, J.J. Anibari was predicted first round, and he ended up in the fifth. But, uh, you know, and, and so these – Early, early mock drafts aren't always accurate, but, I mean, you know, it's a guy that certainly has, you know, some some uh, momentum. And he's played well for Miami, you know. Uh, so it's just kind of weird to look at. You know, the kid, McKeithen, that uh, played, I think he's from Barnwell, that played for North Carolina. You know, really good player, multi-year starter. Uh, and, and so, you know, I always have these theories on recruiting and always talk about recruiting quite a bit. Um. And, you know, a lot of them don't change, but sometimes you look, you relook, you look at it, and you look up, and you dive into a specific topic, and you go, "Well, shoot, man!" You know, it's it's a uh, it's a situation where you know, yeah, Carolina's there's more years than not they don't have a good offensive line, uh, but if you break it down in terms of in-state guys, you know, the in-state guys have kind of mostly panned out. I mean, you know, you even look back and. 
uh, a guy that didn't get drafted or anything, but that started at left tackle, uh, I think for a while, Kyle Nunn from Sumter. I mean, they, you know, they built him into an offensive lineman. So, you know, it, it just kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of one of those things that's, you know, the, the numbers aren't there like there is probably on the defensive line or at wide receiver where you have, you know, bushels of guys panning out from South Carolina. Uh, but the small number that has, you know, shoot, you can't argue with it. They've, they've done pretty well at the college level and beyond. So, you know, and then that brought me to the next point, Marquis Anderson, uh, and then you got G- DJ Geth. I hope I said that, Geth. Uh, he, his dad played at North Carolina. Let me just pull it up to make sure I am correct on this. Uh, Anderson, the in-state offensive lineman, boom, is the title of the story. Uh, DJ Geth. Yeah, Geth. Okay. His dad, Ed Geth, played uh, for North Carolina's national championship basketball team back in 1993. He's a coach now. Um, DJ's also at Dorman. Gamecocks have offered him. Uh, and then you get into the, the next cycle, and you got Josiah Thompson and Cam Pringle, who are as good as anybody. And there's another kid from Greenville High School that's, that's really good. Um, and all that. So, you know, South Carolina – has a chance, Greg Atkins has a chance to continue to build that offensive line, uh, you know, with South Carolina players and beyond. But really good news on, on, on Marky Anderson based on what I've heard over the weekend. You know, and, and look, as I've said a couple of weeks ago, and I keep hammering this point home with NIL, uh, things probably are, are going – you're going to go through a period where things may not be what they seem. So hold on to your hat. I mean, you know, you just don't know – what the situation is going to end up being with any of these guys, uh, NIL wise, you get outbid, you get outbid. That, that's just kind of the way of the world. And, you know, I, I, South Carolina is behind in, in that standpoint. You know, I've been doing what I can with Carolina Rise. I know the Garnet Trust guys have been doing well. It, it's worked well for current players, but you start getting into the numbers, which are, which is what, the determining factor is going to be for guys that have NIL way high up on their list. Some don't right now, but it's coming. Talked to a high school coach today. That's like, my God, you know, think about the numbers. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, they're going to look at this and then look at that and make a comparison and, and go from there. And that's not going to be good, you know, because you're talking about a much larger pot of money available at these schools. And, uh, you know, I, I understand times are hard. I'm never going to tell anybody, you know, if I'm talking about Carolina not having uh, the NIL funds to, to, to maybe compete or be there, uh, it's not about you giving Carolina Rise any money or Garnet Trust or anything specific. It's more general because my job, first and foremost, is to tell you what's going on. <laughs> and so, you know, I sort of felt like getting into this thing that there would be a large number of smaller dollar donations and honestly there's hadn't been, you know, so, uh, and I think the other guys kind of have the same deal, you know, and, and I think that I don't think it's the Gamecock fans are unwilling. Uh, I, I think that there needs to be, you know, a little bit more in terms of explaining exactly what it is and how it works. 
and I don't blame people, you know, and, and I've tried to do a good job of that, but I'm just one guy in one little corner of the Gamecock universe. And, you know, so we'll see sort of what happens uh, with all that. Uh, certainly uh, do appreciate those of you that have given so far. Got a really large donation to, uh, to Carolina Rise uh, late last week and certainly appreciate that very, very much. So it, 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 it's coming. It's coming. It's just not – this hasn't happened as quickly as I thought, you know, uh, on my end. And then I know – sort of have an idea of what the other guys are doing and uh, it probably got off to a slow start with those guys as well. But but that's very important. It, it's very important. And, you know, I know some people out there are kind of morally opposed to it. And that's fine. Uh, it's your right. Again, not telling anybody how to spend their money. It's your money. You earned it. So uh, – but – it's it's not going to change anything, you know. It's kind of like not showing up for the games if you're upset with the offense or whatever. It's not going to, you know, that little bit of uh, crowd is not going to change things. So, but I, I think I think in general, though, sort of knowing and having an idea with the state laws sort of loosening up and um, all that, I, you know, there'll be more of an in-house push for this, and I think that's fundamentally easier uh, to convince fans. Uh, if you're, you know, the Gamecock Club or, or you're, you're used to soliciting money and all that, then, then if you're just some kind of third party that's out there. Um, and so I, maybe, I, I think maybe at that point things will get a lot better, hopefully, hopefully. Uh, but what I also hope doesn't happen is, you know, people put the cart before the horse a, a lot of times. And, you know, and I've heard this from some people too. And, again, it has nothing to do with me. Um, and what I'm doing, because that's separate from what I'm talking about here, uh, or my job to talk about things here, my job here is not to fundraise, it's to, it's to tell you how it is, uh, is that, oh, well, they start winning, I'll step up. And I'm like, well, how are you supposed to start winning uh, if this is fundamental to getting players to win? Um, and I'm hopeful that this is not a very difficult lesson for Gamecock fans to learn, uh, but, because I'll tell you this, they start getting outbid. I'm not blaming the coaches. I mean, you're expecting coaches to go and land players when, you know, other schools are given 10 times the money. I don't care how good of a recruiter you are, you're not going to win many battles that way, you know. Uh, so, you know, depending on the situation, I'm not going to blame the coaches. I mean, shoot, how, how are they supposed to do this? I mean, I get it if, if – the you know, the playing field is somewhat equal. You have some behind-the-scenes cash that does change hands, hint, hint, wink, wink, nod, nod. We all know it's happened everywhere. Uh, that's one thing, but when it's all out in the open, the numbers are so great, you know, I, I don't know what you expect anyone to do. Now, hopefully, July 1st is right around the corner. We're about five weeks away, and that's when the law changes, and hopefully, you know, things are good. You know, right, uh, you know, quickly, quickly after that happens. Uh, but I'll tell you this right now. It's, it's just, you know, it's kind of a race against time because I, I see every day more and more guys are kind of uh, – that you wouldn't think would get out of – they're getting NIL deals and they're, they're peeling away uh, from various schools that, that maybe don't have it. So there's the deal there, uh, you know, and, and again – I never tell anybody how to spend their money. I, I, I don't sit here and, 
you know, solicit Carolina Rise. I very rarely solicit VIP memberships on the bigspur.com other than when we have a special and it's a dollar. We do it and I do this for free with advertising uh, dollars, the limited amount of advertising dollars. And so, you know, pretty, uh, pretty much, you know, I'm not going to sit there and solicit, but I'm just telling you how it is. You know, right now, something has to turbocharge this thing because I, I think you're in a race against time. And, and look, people waiting around for the NCAA or the federal government to save it. That's not happening, folks. I mean, the minute the NCAA tries to do something, there's going to be a lawsuit. Because, you know, there are lawyers and agents and people that want to get paid off this involved. Um, so if that happens, you know, you're probably going to get all the way to the Supreme Court. They're probably going to just say, no, nah, you can't limit it. Sorry. These are third party deals. You can't. There's nothing you can do about name limiting name, image and likeness. And they can sit there and have all the exploratory meetings they want. Uh, I'm not, and look, I'm not saying any of this is good for the game. Uh, I, I think NIL needs to be exactly what South Carolina is doing right now. Uh, because the kids, they, they get after it and go do it and that have the opportunities. They're making pretty good money. You know, women's basketball is making pretty good money. Football guys that are out there doing it are making pretty good money. And, um, you know, that, but that's not always the case. I mean, you know, as far as, you know, what other schools are doing, uh, which is different. And, you know, in, in this league and in uh, this era of college football, you either step up or get left behind. And uh, like I said, I think for a lot of you folks out there, it's going to be a whole lot easier uh, if the university takes it in-house and, and sort of lays it all out. Uh, for a lot of you folks. And, and like I said, I'll do everything I can to help on that regard uh, and, uh, and see what, see what happens, you know? So I, uh, you know, and I said all that just to kind of say, yeah, there's some great recruiting news right now. Um, you know, the official visitors list is looking good. You know, I had another piece about the Gamecocks trending with two four-star linebackers, Grayson Howard, Jaden Robinson. And, you know, like I said, I, under normal circumstances, I think the Gamecocks would get those guys. I think the Gamecocks have a good shot at Trayon Webb, too. Uh, you know, but when you recruit elite guys or no-brainer guys, other schools want them, too, and they're out there making deals. So uh, that's the thing there. I, I just don't want you guys to go, well, you said we are getting this guy, and they didn't. Well, that, you know, if they don't, that's probably because of NIL. <laughs> and I will let you know. Now, that's not to say that Carolina is getting everybody they want uh, and everybody they lose is because of NIL. That's not true. Um, there'll be some players that wouldn't have come anyway, obviously. Uh, but when you're trying to follow recruiting uh, and things of that nature and kind of get an idea, you know, I think for 20 years or however, 22 years following Carolina recruiting, you know, a coach doesn't get a guy, you're like, well, he failed. And and that's been, you know, fair, I think, because, you know, South Carolina for football, you know, most years they've had everything anybody needs, you know, especially for in-state guys and, and things like that. And, you know, you lose some to Clemson or Georgia, you're, you're not upset about it. Uh, you know, you may lose one somewhere else and, and you know, in-state and you know, Florida or someplace like that. And maybe it's – that's kind of a loss. But 
now, <laughs> you know, who knows what will happen? Who knows what will happen? And, and it, you know, the blame can't really be on anybody, you know, especially the coaching staff. So, uh, and look, I'm not sitting here making a bunch of uh, woe is me type of, of comments or woe or the Gamecocks type of comments because I, I think right now, as it stands, recruiting is going fine, actually really good. You know, I just think it's going to be a shame if you get to that point where, you know, you have six, seven guys that you would have had had you not gotten outbid. And then uh, that's not going to be good. You know, so I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen there. I hate talking about NIL these days because it dominates the conversation, uh, but that, that's quite okay. Uh, and I kind of squeezed the analysis segment in with the news and notes segment yet again. Uh, obviously want to st- uh, thank Heritage Digital uh, for all the uh, sponsorship of the News and Notes segment. Obviously, uh, you also have to talk about Cindy Searfoss, a Caldwell Banker Kane, right there on my hometown of Daniel Morgan, or sorry, my hometown of Spartanburg on Daniel Morgan Avenue. Uh, Cindy uh, is married to a dire Gamecock fan, and she's been in the upstate for more than 35 years and would love to help with your real estate needs. You can contact Cindy, 864-414-5271, or email ccerfoss, C-S-E-A-R-F-O-S-S, at com, and she can help you. Spartanburg County, Cherokee, Union, Greenville, you know, just about anywhere in the upstate, Cindy can help you navigate a crazy real estate market. Yes, it's still crazy. Uh, and I can't think of anybody better. You know, Cindy's active in the community. Uh, an all-around good person, you know, I know her husband as well, uh, really great people. And, and so I know all of you like to do business with people that are really quality, great people. And that would be Cindy, uh, you know, of Caldwell Banker Kane, Spartanburg, South Carolina, Daniel Morgan Avenue, 864-414-5271. So what needs to happen with baseball? Um, I've been clear about this. I have not changed my stance. Uh, I thought after... I don't know, what, when was it, getting, you know, not winning the midweek games like they needed to. The Charlotte game probably put the final nail, or really the USC Upstate game, final nail in it for me. Uh, I just don't see the body of work. Uh, I just see this program getting progressively more inconsistent. Some of, But then there's some things that are consistent with the same problems, like hitting uh, over and over. I do think there's some good young players. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily pack up the program uh, and end it if, if Kingston is back. But I have serious questions as to even with players back and this new staff, if if he's the right guy. I, you know, and I thought after the first year, you know, midway through that first year, you're just kind of like, oh, my God, you know, what's, what's going on? Uh, but it was a lot of them weren't his players, all that kind of thing. But then you kind of look back on the talent on that team, and they probably should have been a super regional team, and they were, you know. And then an awful year the next year, and then you know a lackluster start, and the season gets canceled. And then you know last season, I thought really brutal year in the SEC, uh, and I thought the you know, Gamecocks were fortunate to host. Uh, but I thought given that opportunity and the strength of the league, you know, that they completely blew a very good regular season, uh, uh, blew it, 
to uh, lose in, in the regionals and thus blow another opportunity to host a super regional and maybe sneak into Omaha, which would have been huge for this program. But unfortunately, they got to watch the Virginia Cavaliers celebrate on their home field, lost a game to Old Dominion. It just wasn't good. Uh, it wasn't good. And, you know, the other standard of this program is that uh, is the postseason. And, and look, you know, I think this fan base was, I don't want to say, I'm not going to say spoiled because, man, those 15, you know, those 12 years under Tanner, that uh, they were very consistent going to the NCAA tournament. Even the game, even the years they lost in the regionals, you, you kind of always felt like they maximized. You know, SEC's tough. Nobody's arguing that. Uh, but you always felt like they gave it everything they had to last out. And you always walked away from those seasons satisfied. You know, maybe a couple not, you know, the, the, the losses in, in Raleigh and Greenville, North Carolina, and the regionals were not welcome developments. But, and those were, but then a national champ, two national championships followed. So, you know, more than made up for it, but it was consistent. It was a consistent operation. You could, you could count on that as a Gamecock, you know. Basketball's going up and down, football's going up and down, whatever. You can count on uh, count on baseball. And then, you know, during that same time when they were winning national titles, football was really good. Don Staley's program was getting going. You know, they brought in Frank Martin. And, uh, you know, since that final four years, it's, just, <laughs> it's been kind of a, you know, a very little to celebrate uh, across the, uh, the major sports. But, um, you know, that consistency had a formula. And, you know, I don't know that Chad Holbrook or – uh, Marquise and either one follow that formula. You know, you, you got to win your midweek games. Now, you're not going to win all of them, and you're going to lose to some schools that you, you go, wow, that, that school beat South Carolina in baseball. That's ba People say that's baseball. That's baseball. You know, <laughs> you're going to lose some midweekers. That's, uh, that, that, that's part of it. But what you want to do is win most of them. You don't, you don't want more than one or two in the L column, right? Uh, because then you win most of those and you win most of your games against lower level competition, which is another thing Ray Tanner did. Ray, he scheduled Clemson and that was about it uh, out of the conference. Um, you know, you, the lower level guys and, and you run up, you know, those wins and then you don't get swept on the road and you do some sweeping at home against some teams in the league. And your RPI is always going to be good enough to be in position to at least go to a regional, most of the time host, and then have find your way to the Supers, no matter what, you know. And, and this program has just continued to fail to do that. I mean, you just – they don't <laughs> – they don't get past uh, – you know, they, don't, they haven't gotten to 40 wins since Holbrook did in, what, 2016? That, that Super Regional team that – could not score against Oklahoma. You know, it's like a broken record. You know, the bats go silent. The pitching's always solid. And, you know, I mean, it just – and the pitching, of course, wasn't there this year. So, I just uh, – you know, I don't know. I, I, I think that we've seen enough uh, collectively. Um, I understand and, and don't necessarily think that those that are like, yeah, he had a bunch of injuries – they got a new coaching staff in, give them a chance. Um, I don't necessarily think those are points that should be dismissed. Like that, that's not like they're not making that up. 
you know, because it's true. All that did happen. But I look at it through the prism of body of work, and I just don't think the body of work has been up to standard. Quite frankly, I thought Chad Holbrook was more close to that standard. You know, he had one year they missed the tournament, and then he goes to the, the Supers, and then the next year they missed the tournament again. Two out of three years, you're gone, right? Uh, get it out, get, you know, get him out before it slips further. And then, <laughs> you know, Kingston has not taken it back to that level, you know. And, and look, I thought that was great. I thought last year, you know, and, and, and the problem with it is this, guys, it's it's erosion. It's erosion of a program. Um, that happened with the with the basketball program, men's basketball program. At some at one point, okay. Now look, let's be honest. Men's basketball is a different level of job than baseball. Baseball is a top ten job. Men's basketball maybe the fourteenth to sixteenth. If you had Texas and Oklahoma, South Carolina is not a better job than either one of those. They're near the bottom of the SEC job wise. And it's just the history and the mismanagement. I mean, there's just lots of reasons there, you know. Uh, you can go back to the McGuire era all you want, but that was a different era of college basketball. You know, in this era, you've had one shining moment. Not to be, uh, not to be too uh, cliche there, but <laughs> getting to the Final Four under Frank Morton. Now, and then look, I. You know, I, I thought the SEC championship, Eddie Fogler won in 97 was good. I thought the 98 team was really good. But those two one and duns basically soured the whole thing because in basketball, if you don't get past the first round, nobody remembers what the hell you did. You know, so it's been tough. You know, good coaches have come in and been gone. Um, who knows what will happen now? Uh, but that job, you know, it's a little different. But, you know, people want to know why it got so hard. You know, I, I think a lot of folks kind of went to sleep and then woke up and it was, you know, 25 wins and a team that got screwed by the NCAA committee and then a final four the next year. And they're like, oh, they're back. And you don't really understand, like, there were there was like 10 years there, starting with Dave Odom being there two years too long. The second final four, or I'm sorry, the second NIT team, that was a really good basketball team. You know, that team beat national champion Florida twice and had them on the ropes in the SEC tournament championship. The only second time Carolina's been to the championship game in the SEC tournament lost 49-47 um, and then didn't get in, but then won the NIT, finished with 23 wins. Um, and, and at that point, you know, South Carolina had been to the postseason, NIT, NCAA, for eight out of 11. And then it started to erode. Darren Horn had one good year. That It probably should have been a little better, you know, to be honest. I mean, they won 21 games and went 10 and 6 and won the division. They had divisions then, but it was a very weak SEC. But you had Devin Downey and Mike Holmes and Sam Frederick and guys that could play. And, uh, you know, disappointing end to that year. And so you move forward. Horn was a disaster after that. Frank Martin had two building years and then an okay year. And then year four or five, really good. 51 wins in two seasons plus a final four. But by the time that happened, you know, and, and, and simultaneously around the university, 
here's what was going on. Like I mentioned, Ray Tanner's winning national championships on the baseball diamond. Don Staley signing McDonald's All-Americans and, and starting to go deeper into the tournament. Football's beating Clemson and winning 11 games a year and went to the championship game one year. You know, those other three sports were significantly outshining men's basketball. Uh, and plus you have this big old arena and, and, and the style of play just – those early years were it was under under Frank Martin was ugly. The last couple of years of Horn was ugly. The last couple of years with Dave Odom were ugly. I mean, you're, you're talking about one year, the first year of Horn, where you could really get excited and the place was packed. A lot of those games, but it eroded. You know, you go eight out of eleven to the postseason, and all of a sudden it's like one and ten, two and ten, something like that, two and eleven, three and eleven, and then no postseason after the Final Four. You know, so that that's the issue with baseball we all have to take a look at. You know, football was kind of a dramatic drop. You know, South Carolina went from 2013 finishing fourth in the country, you know, in the final poll. Uh, and people people can say, well, that wasn't really – it's not like they went to the semis because there was no playoff. They won the Citrus Bowl. And they did. But, you know, you, you kind of look back on that year – you know, they beat a Clemson team that won the Orange Bowl, beat a UCF team that won the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, they beat a top five Missouri team on the road at the time. Uh, you know, who else did they beat in 2013? They did not beat Georgia or Tennessee. But they had a lot of good wins. You know, North Carolina ended up being a pretty good team that year. I think they went to a bowl. Uh, but that was a pretty brutal schedule when you're talking about North Carolina at UCF and then Clemson in the non-conference, you know, uh, and Connor Shaw and that group did a really good job in 2013. Uh, and they finished fourth, you know, that's where the final tally had them, you know, with a very, uh, tough schedule. That's why I think had they beaten Tennessee and gone on to play Auburn in the SEC championship game, you know, because of that Ohio state upset that year, South Carolina would have gotten in to the final game because there's probably, when you looked at the body of work at that point, you're like, my God, look at all these big wins they've had. I mean, they've beaten some really good teams. But, unfortunately, those dreams died on Rocky Top that year. So, we'll see. Uh, we saw. <laughs> um, so, you move forward, and, uh, you know, football was a dramatic drop. You move forward to 2014, preseason top ten, lots of hype. Dylan Thompson, that offense was, you know, one of the better offenses in program history. Dylan Thompson threw for 3,500 yards that year. But for some reason, there was a, a miscommunication about how good the defense would be, obviously. And uh, three blown leads in the fourth quarter later, uh, Clemson snaps the streak with Deshaun Watson playing on one leg. And, you know, nice win over Miami in the Independence Bowl. You know, it's always good to beat your brand-name teams. But they beat Florida and they beat Georgia. But, you know, the off season, Coach Spurrier sort of stood pat. Um, that class ended up being pretty decent. You know, the 2015 class ended up being pretty decent. It could have been a lot better, but you lost some guys because the future, uh, you know, was in question. And uh, and then then you go the next year, and it's a three and nine football team, and there's a change. Then so comes Will Muschamp, and you know we saw how that went after the, the third year. Really, during the third year, you could start to see the cracks start to happen. Um, and then here we are. But but football was sort of a dramatic drop. And then, 
you know, the, the problem though is, is that with you guys, you know, the, the fans, uh, the mindset, uh, the, uh, the, um, you've had the rug pulled out from under you a bunch because in a lot of these sports, the minute you start to get excited, Hey, you've got a final four. Oh, wow. You know, Gamecocks are on, have arrived, you know, I mean, I personally expected Frank Martin to go on a run to the NCAA tournament three out of four, four out of five years. I was like, well, that'll get the recruiting going, you know, though he's a heck of a coach, you know, Yes, the SEC schools are hiring good coaches, but Frank's a pretty good coach in and of himself. And he did hold his own. You know, it wasn't really the conference performance that, that ended up doing him in. It was some of those non-conference games. Uh, but it eroded, you know, because you everybody was excited. And then all of a sudden, no, no reason to be excited anymore. Uh, football, same way. Every moment, without exception, during the Will Champ era, where it was time to get excited and sell out the stadium and, and be happy, the rug gets pulled out from under you. And I hope that trend doesn't continue under Shane Beaver. Uh, yeah, Clemson game this past year was extremely disappointing. Um, I don't think Clemson was necessarily a, a 30 point better than Carolina team overall. Uh, I think they played their best game against the Gamecocks on both sides, and the Gamecocks played not so good on defense, got worn out, and had no chance on offense. Uh, but that was one where everybody shows up. Carolina walk was awesome. Uh, our Gamecock walk, I'm sorry, Carolina walks the condo complex. Um, and boom, you know, and this stuff with the Muschamp era sort of started, you know, in, in 2017 in a home game against Kentucky, sitting there 2-0. and uh, Devo Samuel gets hurt in that one. Terrible offensive game plan. Couldn't stop the run. Boom, 10-point loss at home to the Wildcats. Another loss to Kentucky. Uh, and that one was shocking uh, because of the start Carolina had gotten onto that season. And then in the game, you know, Jake Bentley throws Devo Samuel for a touchdown, first play of the game. First defensive play, pick. I think Sky Moore got a pick. You know, should have known when they missed the extra point that bad things were going to happen. Kentucky played Bimba, don't break. I think Bentley completed 15 in a row at one point, but it was all sort of chuck and duck. They zoned up the inside. I mean, it was just a, it was a bad game. So, you got, so it took all the way to the end of 2017 to get excited again, and then Clemson comes in and, and kind of did what they did this year. Um, you know, 2018 didn't get off to a great start, but, you know, a win – over Tennessee really helped get them kind of off the losing path. Uh, then they go and they beat Ole Miss on the road, and that in a big time shootout game. And then you got Florida beat at the swamp, and you lose and you blow it. No longer excited. Well, then five six hundred yards against Clemson later, even though it was a loss. You know, Gamecocks play Virginia in the Belk Bowl, sold out their tickets. Can't blame the fans for that. They got excited. They go to Charlotte, which is not everybody's favorite place to go, and you get shut up. And you go back to Charlotte the next year, and you lose North Carolina, and then the rest is history. So every time, you know, it seemed during that era of football that, that things got going, the rug was pulled out. I don't think football and the support for football is eroded, and, and I, I think it's very hard to erode support for Carolina football. And I'm talking about your normal, you know, 
joining the Gamecock Club, buying tickets, going to the stadium, that kind of thing. Uh, not NIL, obviously, but that's a, that's a different subject. I'm going to shut up about that because I don't want to talk about it anymore. Um, you know, the support for football is still there. I mean, it hasn't eroded. But over time, you know, you don't get it going and you can't, you know, getting your brains beat in every weekend, you know, it's not going to happen, uh, you know, as far as the support goes. You know, and my worry with baseball is it is such an important sport at South Carolina. You bring Kingston back and it's same old, same old next year. I mean, you know, even if they met, let's say they sneak it, they get into a regional like a two, three seed or something. I, you know, it's just still not the expectation. Um, and I think that it's probably a good year to go shopping for a coach in that sport. That's my opinion. Uh, and, and so that's that, that's why I think change needs to be made. I, I don't, you know, I, I don't, I don't have a lot against Mark Kingston. I don't have a lot for Mark Kingston. I, I just think he's kind of a guy. You know, it, it's kind of what uh, a lot of coaches say when there's a recruit out there that, you know, is just kind of average for a recruit. You know, he's not not a different, just kind of a guy. He's just a guy. And, and I kind of think that's to sum up his tenure. Hasn't been all bad, but hasn't been up to the standard of the program. And, and that's why I think a change has to be made. But do I think that'll happen? My gut says no. And, and I'm, like I said, once the dust settles, uh, you're going to find out why. We always find out why. Uh, my guess is publicly uh, it's going to be something like injuries, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, – you know, I don't know, you know, and as I've said before, if it's the buyout, I think it's ridiculous, you know, because I, I don't, I think if you're serious about the sport, that's a somebody on the big sport today called it a rounding era, you know, that amount of money. So I don't know. So I don't know. All right. Tony Pope, State Farm Insurance. Then we get to the iHelp Consulting mailbag here in a second. Just as your State Farm agent combines good neighbor service with surprisingly great rates, you can combine your home, auto, life, or small business insurance with Tony Pope State Farm Insurance today. And guess what you'll get? That's right, even more good neighbor service with surprisingly great rates. In fact, Tony Pope State Farm is your go-to agent anywhere in South Carolina, North Carolina, or Georgia for the service you deserve at the price you want. So try combining your home, life, auto, and or small business insurance today. Tony Pope State Farm has been in business for more than 30 years and can handle anything you need in the tri-state area. Once again, Tony Pope State Farm will help you mix and match perfectly. Call 843-851-2222 or visit TonyPope.com today. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right. Joe Sports Caller comes in. There's two ways to get in the mailbag. Uh, First is to tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. Joe Sports Caller. Big Spur Pod, what do we need to do facilities-wise for men's basketball, football, and women's basketball? Football, the next step is really, I guess, uh, I guess upgrading the game day experience, continuing to upgrade Williams-Price for the fans. Uh, that's kind of the next step. Um, I'm sure there's going to be some things, you know, they're going to want to add to the ops building or they're going to add to the practice facility or whatever. 
Um, but you know, and they've got a recruiting area coming up, um, you know, at Williams Bryce that I think will, you know, help round out the player experience. Now, now look, it's an arms race and you're going to, uh, somebody's going to catch up and you're going to do more. I mean, that's just how it is. It's perpetual. Um, men's and women's basketball, you know, I, I think what they have at, at Frank McGuire arena practice facility wise and player lounge area. Wise, I think, I think it's sustainable. I think it's fine. I think it's doable. It's average really. Um, but what I think, honest to God needs to happen down the road is they need to build a new arena and people go, what, 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 what? Well, you think about this, uh, you know, and I, and I, and I'm not talking build a new arena by 2025. I'm talking, I mean, maybe if they can get it done by then fine, but I, I think that build a new arena by the year 2030, you know, it's 2022 right now in 2030, the Colonial Life Arena will be almost 30 years old. They built Colonial Life after uh, Frank McGuire was uh, arena was 34 years old. So I, uh, I sort of feel like, um, I sort of feel like that's, you know, a good time frame to be honest. And I, and I think Colonial Life Arena, you can, probably invest minimally in, in keeping it a little bit up, up to date and it can still be, it can still be a, uh, I guess a, a, a viable option for things like concerts and uh, conventions and graduation, monster truck pulls, uh, you know, whatever you want in the colonial life arena, even NCAA regionals stuff. Uh, and I think it can still be a moneymaker for the university. You can have even more events there if you don't have basketball, right? So, uh, you know, and, and build a new smaller arena with, with all the bells and whistles that you can pack out. Uh, and then two ops buildings or one big ops, however you want to do it for the men's and women's teams. Um, and, and make basketball facilities first class. I mean, Everything else around campus is, is pretty new and nice. And basketball, I don't want to say they've got the short end of the stick, but, uh, you know, I, I, I think there's it's coming up on, on there being a need for it, you know. And, and, I, and I, you know, a new arena to a lot of people sounds crazy because the Colonial Life Arena seems so new. But like I said, man, I mean, a, a lot of the basketball stuff, and, and maybe I'm guilty of this too because I, I – let's just say I last few years I've watched every game uh, and even, you know, even watched most games, Frank's second year on, maybe like around his first year. I don't don't know that I watched very many. Um, And I think a lot of fans that are fans of basketball are like that, you know, and they were like, Oh, well, they kind of went away a while. (laughs) And so for a lot of us, the, the colonial life arena does seem really new, but it's not. It's 20 years old already, and uh, uh, in, in eight years, it'll be almost 30. And like I said, Carolina Coliseum was only 34 years old when they built the new one. So I think that's a reasonable outlook. I think there's a lot of options for where to put it. Um, and I think that South Carolina, you know, in, in and look, I, I'm not going to sit here and say the CLA is holding them back. Uh, and I'm and, and quite frankly, everybody who was in around during that time when they built it, they're, they're, everybody's kind of shocked that it's an issue, you know. 
But the idea was at the time, you know, it was, it was the nineties, Eddie Fogler was winning. You, you know, you couldn't get a season ticket. I'm not saying you couldn't get a ticket to any game, but you know, there was big crowds volume wise and they were selling out season tickets and winning championships and going to the NCAA tournament. And so you think, wow, you know, let's go build an arena like Arkansas and, and be Arkansas East. And, and that was the idea. Well, then in that sport recruiting change, Fogler got burnout. They made an uninspired hire in Dave Odom. Odom opens the building, bad hire in Darren Horn. And then Frank Martin comes in and has one good year, one great year, really. Many good years, you know, great year, the one year. And they didn't capitalize on it. So there you go. That's, that's where it's at. And, you know, every arena, I think, in, in college sports, basketball, football otherwise is uh, uh you know it seems like baseball may be expanding like what well, they did mississippi state and arkansas may be expanding but football and basketball are, are downsizing and and those sports are on tv all the time so you're you're, you're constantly competing against high-end high-def tv broadcasts with those sports and so you better have a good fan experience and, and all that good stuff and, and an arena that makes sense so there you go. There you go. Um, that, that's my uh, opinion on what uh, needs to happen for men's basketball, football, women's basketball. Uh, and I think the women's program, obviously being one of the very best in the country, deserves everything they get. And I think uh, if you're serious about competing in men's basketball, uh, get there, you know, get there. And I think like a 10,000 seat arena would be perfect with nice, you know, luxury seating, a place for the students. I mean, you design it to be loud. So uh, that's that with that. Uh, but that that's the deal there. For football, you know, I think it's just continuing to upgrade the fan experience at Williams Bryce. I think that's, and they're doing a lot with the LED lights, a new sound system, thank God, <laughs> you know, and, and some other stuff. Uh, going on there. All right. So continuing on Gamecock pastor. Hey, JC, I'm sure you're going to hit this anyway, but how do you feel about the potential SEC playoff? What, what are you hearing and what would it look like? I'm not hearing much on that concrete. I, I, I think it's sort of one of those information drops. That's like, Hey, uh, you know, this could happen. <laughs> um, what it would look like, my understanding is it would be like eight SEC teams playing off and then the rest of college football playing off and then a Super Bowl-style championship game, kind of like – and the Super Bowl used to be this way. The NFC and AFC used to be separate leagues. It was the NFL and AFL. And they started playing the Super Bowl. Then they just merged and – it's the NFL as we know it today. But, uh, you know, do I think that would be good for college football? Heck no, I don't. No. Uh, I, I just don't know. I mean, how, I, you know, how many times do you want to watch Bama and Georgia play or, or whatever? I mean, you know, and, and, and I think it's good because you do have variety of LSU pop up. You know, you'll have teams break through, Auburn will break through, whoever, Florida. But, I mean, I, I just, you know, you start getting into 
playing every team because the, the schedule uh, philosophy is going to be, you know, you get through every team in the league within two seasons. You know, so then that's a lot of redundancy. And, and I, I think people, I think they better served with the 12-team model they were talking about. So that's uh, that's the deal there. Um, but I, I can't see that happening. And, you know, if, if all, you know, what breaks loose, Gamecock Pastor, and all of a sudden the SEC is no longer like the Southeastern Conference, it's just the SEC, and then they start adding like Southern Cal, Ohio State, teams like that. Uh, you know, and it's just this mega league. Um, then I think it's a little more realistic than than, than what uh, what's happening now. My guess is that that that's not a threat, but that that information is probably more toward nudging the other leagues along. Because, like, look, man, there's no reason, none, no reason uh, why the Pac-12 and Big Ten wouldn't want more teams in the playoffs. Big Ten has had conference champions get left out. The Pac-12, Oregon and Washington are the only teams that made it. Most years they're out. You know, those schools want a piece of the pie, and that model solved the the Notre Dame issue of being in a conference. So, I, you know, I I think it was just a lot of butthurt that they swiped Oklahoma and Texas from the Big 12. People are like, oh, can we trust the SEC? And a lot of these guys – you know, around the I – mean, I think the guy from the Pac-12 is actually, you know, pretty good progressive type thinker and will be really do well for that league. Um, obviously, the Big Ten misses Jim Delaney. You saw what happened during COVID with that league. Uh, you know, the, the ACC's got new leadership and Jim Phillips. You know, not sure kind of – I mean, he kind of came from the Big Ten. <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm just – uh, you know, I, I think just like the NCAA, whose head was in the sand about NIL and things of that, they, they fight change. I think I think there's a little bit of that going on, uh, facilitated by the jealousy of, of the Southeastern Conference. And, you know, quite frankly, people call me crazy. I, I think I think around our country, there's a lot of jealousy uh, about the South, you know, because it's a pretty daggum good place to live. These days, uh, you know, less expensive, good weather. Uh, I think also, there's some people that are jealous about that. They, they want to point fingers at the at the South. Uh, it's like, what do we do? You know, we 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 didn't do anything. You know, everybody's been kind of minding their own business around here. <laughs> you know, I just uh, uh, but but I think I think that the South has sort of become a you know, whether it's politics or you know lawmaking or uh, labor law, labor policies, you know, whatever you want to put business policies, um, country music, <laughs> whatever you want to say, you know, the South is, is, is in a lot of ways, you know, the envy of a lot of the rest of the country. And I've lived outside of the South. Uh, so I know, you know, I know. And I think college football is one of those, you know, it's, oh, Blah, 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 blah. Let's attack the Southern schools. Let's attack the SEC, blah, 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 blah. That, that seems to be popular. And I think it flows more from people being like miserable with where they live uh, than um, anything, anything tangible about it. All right. Bullheaded says, hey, JC, was listening to a college football podcast about sleeping giants and got me thinking about areas of the country. 
if you had to start a Power Five institution from scratch, what state would you pick? Now, this is going to sound crazy because this went on and on about the South. I'd start it in California. And I'll tell you why. Because if SC does not get its act together, and if you look at their history, more times than not, they don't. And, and you know, I know everybody loves Lincoln Riley. I tend to think with the players they've got, they're going to be really good this year and probably moving forward. But it's a gold mine of talent. And the weather's right. And if you sell it well enough, you can get players from all over the country to, to backfill in addition to the top California talent. And there's just not a lot of schools out there that have the overwhelming commitment to try to be great. Uh, and that includes Southern Cal. I, I, I think this year they had some Lane, uh, some Lane Kiffin syndromes. <laughs> uh, I, I just stared at my screen and Lane Kiffin's tweet was up there. Uh, there's some caged animal syndrome and said, we're going to go hire one of the biggest names in the country for our coach. We don't care who, how much we pay and who knows it. And that's fine because it kind of shows you the power of the Trojans. They do have money. I think as far as NIL can – goes, I mean, there's not a lot of better places than Los Angeles. Of course, now, you know, if they'd had this when Pete Carroll was there and, you know, <laughs> Southern Cal was the only game in town, you know, now you got a Super Bowl champion Rams franchise and you got the Chargers there too. I mean, there was no pro football when Carroll was there. So uh, maybe that's changed a little, but it's still Los Angeles. This is a media capital, uh, one of the media capitals of the world, really, you know, if you, if you want to go into – you know, if you want to talk about true NIL, you know what I'm saying? Um, L.A. is also very good with high school football. You wouldn't think it. You know, it's not one of the places you go, oh, it's like East Texas. You know, but it, it, it is. I mean, you go to just about any one of these schools out there, and there are a lot of good players. Uh, look at the numbers. And so, you know, you got to ask yourself, well, Stanford's going to try, but Stanford's its own thing, and Cal's sort of its own thing it's a little weird and you know when they, they'll have good teams don't get me wrong you know ucla are they ever going to get it right you know i don't know so i, I would start if i had to start a power five, i would i would go california the other thing i like about that state from a football recruiting standpoint is the junior college system you know you go and you, and you recruit the junior colleges in mississippi most of the time it's because of grades and you know most of the, a lot of times those guys don't make it back out um, the California JUCOs are a little different. Their system, it's not always uh, about grades. Sometimes you're just under the radar. Aaron Rodgers is a very good example of that, by the way. So, you know, a lot of guys come out of the JUCO system with one offer. There we go, you know. And, and so you can find players. Uh, you know, if you can go in and recruit the uh, surrounding states, what little talent there is, you can pluck one or two out of Washington to come to Cali, you know, Nevada. I mean, you know, most of the talent in that state's in Las Vegas. It's right across the border. You know, Arizona, the Arizona schools don't keep their players in state. Spencer Rattler, you know, <laughs> uh, in South Carolina. But, uh, you know, that kind of thing, I, uh, you know, I, I just think it's a gold mine. And I think that fan, people, people don't understand, you know, like the fans out there are actually good fans with, with college ball. You wouldn't think it. You know, you wouldn't think it. But Los Angeles, the rest of California, 
They play good football. And so that's where I'd start just because of the opportunity. Because you go into Texas, I mean, you're, you're competing against – you start a Power 5 program, you're – I mean, gosh. I mean, you're competing against everybody from Texas State, Texas San Antonio to North Texas, Houston, all those. So that that would be what I would do. Thanks, Bull. Had a very good, uh, very good question. Reggie Rose has something about uh, – I guess Josh Van went to Hilton Head High School and helped put on a camp. And BJ Payne, their coach, was happy about it. And he said, maybe the tide is turning at Hilton Head. Don't hold your breath. And then it's the next way to get into the podcast. Uh, and before I get into this, I'll tell you that the podcast is brought to you by, as always, I'm sorry, the podcast, the mailbag. Jeez. <laughs> Kind of been a weird Wednesday, folks. Uh, I help consulting. You got to get in touch with Daniel at ihelpconsulting.com. And uh, you're always looking to save time and money as a business owner. And that's where I help consulting can help you. It's a Gamecock owned and operated company whose only mission is to help businesses save money on expenses. Whether you think you may be paying too much for credit card processing, internet, insurance, or anything else iHelp can find your business the most savings without sacrificing quality. And remember, if iHelp can't save your business any money, then you don't pay them anything. That's right. If iHelp can help your business, it's of no cost to you. So call or text Daniel right now, 843-372-5713, or visit iHelpConsulting.com to schedule a free consultation. That number again, 843-372-5713, iHelp Consulting. How can I help you? And then, you know, the next part's inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. You guys have been doing a great job sending in uh, questions to answer. Had a lot of good ones Sunday, a lot of good ones today. Hopefully have a lot of good ones later in the week, that kind of thing. Um, did want to tell you, kind of wrapping up the point from the analysis segment, uh, wanted to kind of make a point, too, about erosion. Um, that, that's my fear that you go one year too long with this one, you know, and it doesn't work out. And there's a probably a better than 50% chance it won't just based on body of work so far, you know, you go one more year, that program's going to start to erode because all of a sudden you're getting into the territory where it's been 11 years since you've been to Omaha. You know, you've been a game away twice. Once was in 2013. The other one, you probably didn't have a chance against Arkansas that year, uh, you know, to where it becomes almost a treat when you make the NCAA tournament, you know, that that's that's going to be tough. That's going to be tough. Now, I'm not saying a, co- a new coach is going to change that. I mean, you know, we don't – a question I've been asking myself about baseball a lot is, has the game changed? You know, the recruiting is really early now. You know, you haven't had a coach sort of like Tanner where he was really good at piecing together rosters and adding toughness and things like the Tanner was a master at adding intangibles to his baseball roster. You know, and I think we saw so many times during his tenure here as a coach that Carolina wasn't always the most talented team, but they find a way to beat some of those talented teams. I think about O2 against Clemson out there. Gosh, that was 20 years ago, right? That that Clemson team, Khalil Green, those guys, that was a great team. You know, South Carolina was pretty good, you know. 
12 to 4, 10 to 2. Grit. <laughs> Grit, you know. So anyway, uh, all right. Inside the game guys at gmail.com. So that, uh, to wrap up my point of it, the reason I was talking about erosion and all that, I, I may have wrapped it up, but just wanted to say that, you know, that, um, you know, that that's why uh, another reason that I would make a, a change is that, you know, you, you just really don't want to risk another lackluster year and for the program, because at that point you are getting into, you know, a, an erosion period, you know, with that program. Philip Soda City Chicken says, thanks for doing the mailbag. As always, wanted to get your thoughts on the one-on-one interview Brandon Marcello did with Spencer Rattler that was posted on the Big Spur lately. In the article, Rattler says multiple times we're running the L.A. Rams offense. In principle, that sounds great as if one of the most contemporary and innovative offenses in the NFL. But I also worry that you need veteran players like Matt Stafford, Cooper Cup, OBJ, and Andrew Whitworth to run it effectively by reading too much of these comments. I don't know. I saw the Dennis Dodd article on Rattler today. He said he drew up a play in, from South Carolina, and it was 13 words long. And he said most of the time at Oklahoma, you, your plays were kind of based on numbers like six. I mean, look, man, there's a reason half the staffs in the country hold up emojis when they're signaling in place on both sides. Um, and it's because college kids and you don't have a lot of time you know, to, to, to get through a bunch of complex stuff. And that's been sort of my uh, criticism. And I think fundamentally the problem with the offense. Um, it's not to say there weren't player issues, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, you, if you're limited with players and, and you make it super hard, you know, the, the veterans you do have, i.e. last year the O-line and running backs aren't going aren't to get it consistently. Uh, and, and the Rams offense is based on a lot of wide zone and horizontal movement up front, uh, along with duo, which is a power play in the run game. I don't know, man. I, I just don't know. I, I think that you run Sean McVay light and the kids learn it and it's fun. And, you know, you're, you're dialing up creative plays and everybody's loving playing in it. That's fine. Um, I think that the challenge is for it to look like the Rams, but not necessarily be learned like the Rams. Uh, I think South Carolina has the personnel to run whatever scheme you want, you know, outside of a wishbone this, this year, uh, as long as they stay healthy. But, uh, you know, you don't want to waste uh, the night and day uh, flipping of this offensive rise. I mean, look, man, you've got every, you've got theoretically, theoretically everything. You got five-star quarterback. You got an almost five-star starting running back backed up by a guy that was, you know, the leading rusher and an explosive offense in the ACC. And then a guy like Juju McDowell, who's a lethal change of pace guy. You got to do everything tight in wide back type and Jaheen Bell, and you got another really good tight end in Austin Stogner, and another good one in, in, in Trey, Trayvon Kenyon, to be honest. Um, you got big fullback, uh, H-back types with uh, Amos and walk-on DJ Twitty, and uh, maybe Greg Atkins' son plays a little fullback. Uh, you know, and then your receiving core is a lot different. Uh, you know, you return your leading receiver, Josh Van, who caught 43 balls last year, who was a 
you know, all American out of high school. You got Juice Wells, uh, who's going to be really, really good. Corey Rucker coming in, and then guys like uh, Amarian Brown and Xavier Leggett, who are great athletes. You got Ladin Sampson coming in, uh, and then the offensive line has a combined 139 starts in their career. <laughs> On paper, that's good. That's as good of a situation as I've seen in quite some time. At South Carolina, but it's all it's all on paper. I mean, I just went through half of those guys. Half of those guys need to step up and, and, and produce. And so then you kind of worry, like, well, you know, if you're going to waste all this if everybody's still kind of confused. It's too complicated, and, and you're actually trying to be Sean McVay. Now, based on what I've heard and read and seen and all that, you know, those those comments, I think, tend to cause a little more concern than maybe they should. Uh, because, you know, I didn't hear about any issues with Rattler running the offense during the spring or understanding it or it being too complex or anything of that nature. Um, I just, uh, you know, I, I have some faith. I have some faith. I think scheme-wise and – you know, the idea with uh, the Rams offense is that it's it's hard to defend because you've got the same personnel, same formations, and you can do 10 different things out of it. It's almost different than, you know, what Spurrier did, which was a lot of formations with the same thing in them. Yes, I don't know what's better. Um, I want to see what the offense looks like this year before I say anything overly positive or negative from a scheme standpoint. You know, if, if you ask me, you know, what's easier to learn, a bunch of formations or a bunch of plays? I don't know. 13 words scared the hell out of me. Reading that scared me. But maybe that's just the extreme of it and all that. 13 words, though. Wow. Uh, and that is the end of there. So so we'll see. We'll see sort of what happens. Thanks, Soda City. Sean says, uh, JC, I was just wondering if you had any insight on why Houston is not a bigger power. Seems like a great location, a huge alumni base. Uh, Tillman uh, Fertitta, yeah, the Tillman Fertitta is a big uh, booster. I find it weird what Texas A&M is doing. They're doing a college station, which is in the middle of nowhere. I tried to do research, but couldn't really find anything outside of Texas blocking Houston from the Big 12. Thanks. I can't wait for the live show. Houston's been good every now and then. I mean, obviously, they're they're more of a basketball school, and, and they're what you call a commuter school. Like, Houston and Cincinnati are cousins, I guess you could say, because uh, they're a public school, and, and, and they're, they're big, and, you know, they've always sort of had a seat at the table with the Texas public schools, but they did not get into the Big 12, um, and a lot of people thought they would because – when the Southwest Conference dissolved, it got into this public school versus private school thing. So, in other words, TCU, Rice, Baylor were on one end of things, and then you got Texas, Texas Tech, Texas A&M, and Houston on the other. And then Ann Richards, who was the governor of Texas, and you know, I think her, I think there were other people that had power in the state that were Baylor folks. And now you're taking Baylor. <laughs> And so Rice, SMU, TCU got, got sort of left behind, and, and so did Houston. And, and Houston's been pretty good. You know, Kevin Sumlin did well there. Our Browse obviously did well there. Major Applewhite did not. Tony Levine, not so much. Tom Herman did well there. Uh, and now Dana Holgerson comes back. 
and they do have money and they do have alums. It's, it's just, it's a commuter school. So it's not as, you know, I guess it doesn't bring the passion necessarily that a Texas or a Texas A&M, even a Texas Tech does. Uh, that said, they're going back to the Big 12 finally. Um, and I think that in basketball and football, you know, you're going to see them be among the better teams in that league, you know, without Texas and Texas. Uh, I'm sorry, Texas and Oklahoma being gone. Um, somebody's got to step up and fill the power board, the power vacuum. You know, you, you've got some options. Kansas State, Iowa State right now, until, as long as Matt Campbell's there. Uh, it's still sort of a northern outpost. Houston, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, uh, as far as football goes, uh, to kind of step up. BYU, obviously, I think is, is a, you know, they're usually really good. You know, so we'll see what happens with the Big 12. Uh, but, yeah, it, it, commuter school, played in the Astrodome for a while. It's just – it's never been – I mean, I went to the Liberty Bowl when Carolina played them and just a tiny sliver of fans. And, you know, Memphis is not a crazy trip from Houston, you know, uh, for a bowl game. And I guarantee you A&M or whoever else would have brought – you know, they'd have brought it, and 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 it was mostly Gamecock fans uh, in, in that stadium that day. And so there's the deal there with that. Conference affiliation since the dissolve of the Southwest Conference has really been an issue for the University of Houston. All right. So, Belmont chimes in with more NIL. Thanks for taking the time to go through my diatribe and questions about NIL last weekend. Ironically, the Saban-Fisher debacle started the day I wrote my email, unfolding in the days that followed. I also listened to your J.C. and Morgan podcast with Barrett Salih. Yeah, listen to that. That's pretty good, which is an excellent take on that mess and a picture of the disarray that schools are now embroiled in. In my opinion, Saban was measured and completely intentional when making his comments. Clearly disappointed with the NCAA for staying out of the NIL chaos factory that they created and his own state being behind the curve on laws related to the distribution of funds. Felt like something Spurrier might have done. Fisher, on the other hand, may be playing within the rules of Texas, but acted like a child hurling insults and making it more about his rival versus focusing on taking all that talent and turning it into championships in College Station. It's going to be the key. Uh, it's football, man. It's not basketball. It's not base. It's, you know, in, in this sport, it, 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 Incoming players are not ready-made products. People don't understand that. People, you have people ranking Texas A&M in the top five saying this recruiting class. Well, no, 70% of these guys are a year away, two years away. And you already have like a report out of Philadelphia. They signed the defensive line of Philadelphia saying that the NIL collective told him he could not – play in an all high school all-star game or, or he won't have his money and then he had to deny it but it was pen live the pennsylvania newspaper i mean just a lot of stuff man uh already you know some drama with all this so we'll see you know and yeah i, I agree that you know i know jimbo was mad and i get it at some point you know you know, look, it, it, the AM situation is what it is. Okay. And if they cut big time NIL deals with everybody, you know, or they're trying to lie about it or whatever, 
great, fine. You know, as long as it's within the law and the rules, and notice Jimbo kept saying the law over and over again, not the rules, the law. Um, you know, more power to them. Because I don't know that that in and of itself gives you a championship. I think there's a lot more to it in football, and I think Jimbo knows that. Uh, and I think that's probably part of his childish, quote-unquote, childish rant is to motivate these guys, you know, that have come in and say, oh, look, they all think you're all bought and paid for. Why don't you prove them how good you are? That kind of thing. Uh, but, yeah, a and is going to be an interesting case study with this. You know, it's a good for journalists and those in the entertainment business like yourself. Yeah, that's true. I don't want to be called a journalist anymore. <laughs> I just think, uh, anyway, uh, hearing Saban say that 25 of his players received NIL and endorsement money in 2021 uh, and that Bama's collective will be split evenly amongst players seemed like a diplomatic response. Do you think recruits and players would respond well for this approach, at least in top programs? Considering 85 scholarship players, it seems like it would benefit about half the team that isn't in the too deep, but could keep some players demanding early playing time around longer. Quick math is about 12K per player for every 1 million in football collective funds. That also leaves marquee players with the opportunity to make more money with separate NIL bills. Thoughts? Yeah, I, you know, I'd, I'd like to see, and look, the na- the national media is trying to push salaries, right? And you, know, you have the crazy California law that uh, they're trying to get out out there that that kid the players get fifty percent of the revenue, which is I think they're not fifty percent of the value. <laughs> not of these brands that have been around a hundred years, man. You know, uh, but I, I I think that they need you know if you're going to go to a system like that. You go with, okay, everybody gets X dollars. We pay you like we pay teaching assistants uh, because it's the same concept. Teaching assistants are graduate students, right? And they teach classes for tenured professors that, that, that are off doing research or that, you know, don't want to teach six classes in a semester or whatever. And, you know, or the, the, the teacher does the lecture if it's a science and, and the teaching assistant does the lab. And, you know, they're teachers. They get paid. They perform a service for the university that, you know, benefits the university as a whole. Well, same thing with football players. They perform an extra service beyond the scope of being a student that, that helps the university and brings in money. And I think a scholarship is valuable. And, and I agree with Dabo Sweeney that, that still needs to be a focus because 98% of these guys don't, you know, don't move on. I mean, they don't go on to the NFL, right? So you need life skills. I think NIL is perfect for that. You know, you look at some of the guys at Carolina, I'm, I'm impressed. You know, I've said many times, you get more out of being an entrepreneur and, and having like a, a job incubator and, and stuff like that you know, while you're in college, you're making a little extra cash or making a lot of cash in the case of some of them, uh, you know, you're in good, good shape there. Um, you know, in terms of what college is all about, which is preparing you for life, you know, now I'm going to sit here and, you know, pay somebody a million dollars a year to play college football. No, I don't, I don't agree with that. Cause I don't think there, I don't think, there's a single college player that uh, 
individually that really, if you drilled down, is worth that. You know, and I know Eric Howard made a comment about Clowney, you know, when he committed, it was worth 10 million for the university. Well, that, that's kind of pie in the sky sort of residual type of stuff. Um, I don't think it was quite that much, but you know, look, the, the big time players just by the, you know, recruits, that kind of thing. When you're that good, when you're like Clowney or Adrian Peterson or Trevor Lawrence, somebody like that, you know, you're going to get that when you get in anyway, no matter where you go, because that's what your value is. You know, it, it's, the business that's having you promoted, that, that's worth it to them. You're the quarterback. You're the five-star guy. Or you're the you know, running back that's going to change the fortunes. Or you're Jadevi and Clowney. You know, that kind of thing. And so I, I think that money is and should be there. Uh, I think as a baseline, though, you know, pay them like TAs. And maybe probably pay them more. I don't know what the average teaching assistant uh make these days right um but you know a living wage you know 40 to 50 i don't know what it is uh, and i also think this and i think this is a a solution that you know is either very simple <laughs> and easy to do and a big old duh for some of these universities or it's it's probably there's difficult liability and all that uh I, I would keep everybody on the insurance for 10 years and then give them the option to buy in uh, at a very low subsidized rate uh, for health insurance for them and their families and basically make that promise uh, for all my football alums. You know, football is a sport that is rough on the body, right? And so these guys, you know, when they get out and they get done playing, they, they do need you know, mental health counseling, or they need to be scanned for stuff. I mean, or they, their bodies are breaking down. They, they endure medical costs. And I, and I think, you know, that part of it would solve or, or would give you some, I guess, blowback, you know, rather than saying, ah, oh, you don't have to play football. It's optional, which is the truth. Well, you don't have to play football. Nobody, nobody makes you play football, right? Instead of saying that, you know, I, I think it'd be a lot better to say, all right, we've, we're making this much money off, off of uh, these sports or the sport. And, uh, you know, you get started with group. Health. And look, again, I may be barking up the wrong tree. This may be an astronomical health insurance expense. But you have gigantic policies for everybody anyway, you know, and then the more you buy in, the lesser your premiums are because it's a big pool of money. And, you just pay it for 10 years and then you heavily subsidize it. They can pay in a little bit and put their family on it. Like just like any other, you know, employment deal. And uh, I think with the laws that changed under the last administration, you, you know, trade organizations and folks like that can get together and purchase insurance. So, you know, it just kind of be like a football, like the football alumni association has insurance you can buy. The university keeps you on for, just like they do with scholarship money, you can, I think it's six to eight years you have to graduate and use it. Uh, you do the same thing with health insurance. You say you got 10 years and then, you know, alumni association will take care of you from there. And, uh, and nobody's thought about that. I, I've never read one thing about it. Um, and so there you go. There you go. I, I think that that's, 
pay them like teacher's assistants and do some kind of thing with for health insurance uh, for the guys. And I think that would uh, that would suffice. And then NIL is going to be when you do that and you start giving guys salaries and, and stuff like that. Um, then what you do with NIL is you say, all right, you know, here are the rules. If, uh, if before you were in college and on our payroll and you were getting NIL money, uh, you know, look, I don't know how you do it, you know, keep it for like, okay. So Texas is looking at saying high school players can get NIL money because high school football is huge in Texas and you probably make quite a bit. Um, so I don't know how you prevent something like that, but, uh, I think you abolish the collectives, you bring it in house and, and then it's the program that can cut the most deals with businesses that end up flourishing, not the programs with the deep pocketed boosters. Um, and then you have to have some sort of interpretation of fair market value. That's legitimate and, and realistic. Because right now you can pay them anything you want for whatever work. You just have to get something in return. <laughs> if I wanted to with Carolina Rise, you know, a player comes in, it's a pretty good player that you want to keep, you could give him a million dollars to say you're listening to the Inside the Game Cuts podcast. You know, that's egregiously ridiculous, but uh, that's legal. <laughs> So there you go. There you go with that. Thanks, Belmont. Appreciate that a lot. Uh, okay, Xavier says, X-Man. JC, I'm a little behind. The board stuff is kind of over. Board of Trustees. But I've been meaning to ask something. A few months ago, I found a YouTube video talking about Steve Springer leaving. And one of the problems cited was the Board of Trustees not wanting to support a lot of his decisions. Is there any truth to that? Thanks, man. I love the show. I, I know what you're talking about. That person that talked about South Carolina, I don't know where he gets his information from. I know he's not a South Carolina guy. Uh, the Board of Trustees really, Spurrier had a lot of, uh, I guess, friends on the board. <laughs> he, uh, he never really had a problem with, with anything. Um, I'll say this, the board of trustees for everybody that's been at the university of South Carolina, um, for a long time. And, uh, there have been some good boards. Don't get me wrong. I know some of the people there that have left and they are missed. Um, but it's been an issue the, the, the whole setup with it is a little bit, you know, it needs tweaking. You know, athletics needs to, you know, you don't, when you have board of trustees members openly griping about buyouts, you know, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. And those people don't need to represent the university in any manner. If you don't know what you're talking about, then uh, you don't need to talk. <laughs> I don't care who you are. Uh, and that's the real shame of that bill not passing is that, that you have embarrassments sitting there, you know, that need to be. Uh, non-embarrassments, okay? Uh, but I, I saw that. I know what you're talking about. It's somebody that kind of documented the downfall of South Carolina football or whatever, and I, there were just a lot of inaccuracies in that. So, I'd, you know, you'd have to send that guy a message. But, I, you know, I, I had a pretty good beat on Spurrier and his relationship with everybody around Carolina. And 
you know, the only, he left for one reason. He was losing. And that was it. And he realized there was not an easy way out that, you know, he was going to have to like fire every, and he should have realized this after 2014, but you look at 2014, you're like, Oh, we we're three play. You know, we we're three stops away from getting to Atlanta, you know, and before that we were fourth in the country. So all we need to do is tweak the defense. Let's go hire John Hope. That was, you know, example a of, be careful about getting guys from the NFL. <laughs> you know, it's a different game, uh, and it was a disaster. So that's uh, that's sort of kind of what happened there. Uh, Spurrier was losing, and he was staring down a bad season. You know, he was right there. He had one more loss till he got to 50 at Carolina, 50 losses. And I think he said, well, 86 and 49, that's a good one. Shoot. <laughs> and so there you go. There you go. But yeah, that, that was wrong. There were a couple other things in that video. I have to go back and watch it next. And, and, uh, that was just, they were just out to lunch kind of stuff. And I don't know where they got it from. Thanks for the email. That's all the time here on a Wednesday, JC Sherbert inside the game podcast, signing off. Hope you guys have a wonderful day.